we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty New Year greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the January 6th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Ladies first on Friday's show, four African teams, Morocco, Nigeria, South Africa, and Zambia, have qualified for the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup Football Tournament. The premier women's competition will kick off July 20th in Australia and New Zealand. And two more teams from Africa, Cameroon and Senegal, will play inter-confederation playoff matches next month in New Zealand with a chance to advance to the Women's World Cup. Let's take a look at those African playoff matches Cameroon will take on Thailand February 18th in Hamilton, New Zealand. And that same day, Senegal will play Haiti in Auckland, New Zealand. If Cameroon and Senegal win those matches, they would still have to win one more game to book a ticket to the Women's World Cup. The Cameroon-Thailand winner will take on Portugal February 22nd. And the Senegal-Haiti winner will play Chile on February 22nd. Of the four African teams already qualified, Morocco and Zambia will both be making their Women's World Cup debuts. For an update on Zambia's preparations, Iron Mike Mbonye called Chingola Zambia, where he reached the team's head coach, Bruce Mwape. Yeah, I'm actually in touch with uh, almost all the players that we, we have. And we are also planning to have uh, a local camping where we want to look at uh, the local players, some of these uh, girls who are playing in the, in the National League. Zambia is in Group C with Spain, Costa Rica, and Japan. Are you familiar with some of these teams and uh, are you scared with the big names? Yeah, it's actually it's not the first time that we are participating in a major tournament. If you remember very well, there was a time when we qualified to the Olympics and we may we, we actually played uh, a big teams like Brazil, Netherlands, and we also watched some of these uh, so-called uh, big teams while in the uh, Olympics. Okay, so it's safe to say that you are familiar with the teams in the same group with you? Yeah, we are, we are actually familiar and um, that's what we want. We want to expect, I mean, we want to play, like you're saying, the big teams because we also want to be uh, recognized as one of the big teams in there in the world. Coach, the Zambia female, uh, Zambia Women's uh, Football League is on now, am I right? Yes, you're right. Are you monitoring the league to see how you get some new faces or other players to add to the team that will go to the World Cup? Yeah, that is the biggest assignment that we've got. We need to actually identify some of the players that we have never seen play for for the national team because um, some teams are, are coming from very far away from uh, from the uh, Lusaka, the capital city rather. So, so we need to monitor 
I'm sure you you know when you talk about the national league, you're talking about the entire national where the the their the teams participating in the Premier League. So we are we are actually monitoring them uh, week in week out. Do you have some of your players? I mean the women's national team players playing in countries like Nigeria, South Africa, or in Europe? We have got um, um, a good number of players playing in Europe and um, even Asia. Um, <clears throat> one of them is, uh, of course, Barbara. She's playing in China. And these others, yes, they are playing in uh, Spain. We've got others playing in um, Turkey as well. So at the moment, we've got a good number of players playing outside the country. All right, Coach. Uh, with seven months to the kickoff of the Women's World Cup, what message do you have for Zambians? Uh, because they are looking up to the Copa Queens to do the country proud. Yeah, what they actually expect is uh, a team to perform well when we go to the, the World Cup. And what matters most is uh, the way you prepare the team. If you don't prepare well, don't expect to win the, the, the Cup. But if you prepare the team well, of course, you will not go to the research just to add numbers. No, you go there to compete. And uh, of course, the aim is to win the, the World Cup. That's all. That's Bruce Mwape, the head coach of Zambia's national women's football team, nicknamed the Copper Queens. And Coach Mwape spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Chingola, Zambia. Sporty greetings. This is Memory Malisawa, Major Officer of Copper Queens of Zambia. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. The U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, bidding for a third consecutive Women's World Cup title, will play two friendly matches this month against World Cup co-host New Zealand. The American women will play the football ferns of New Zealand on January 18th in Wellington, New Zealand. And the teams will meet again on January 21st in Auckland, New Zealand. The USA has played the football ferns 19 times, but never in New Zealand. So these will be the first ever matches in New Zealand for the U.S. women's national team. The USA's head coach, Vlatko Andonovsky, has named a 24-player roster for the matches in New Zealand. The American team includes 20-year-old striker Trinity Rodman the daughter of former pro basketball star Dennis Rodman. Also up front for the USA will be Alex Morgan, the leading scorer on the roster with 119 career goals. The USA will be in Group E at the Women's World Cup, along with Vietnam, the Netherlands, and a still-to-be-determined playoff winner. Coach Andonovsky says, and I quote, We've been thinking about and planning for the World Cup for a long time. But when the calendar turns to the World Cup year, for sure it brings some renewed focus and energy as the tournament kicks off in less than 200 days. 
and Coach Andonofsky continues to get to bring the team to New Zealand in January and play in our World Cup venues has so many benefits. So we are going to make sure we maximize our time together, make this trip as productive as possible, and enjoy a unique experience as many of our players have never been to New Zealand before. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Football great Pele was buried Tuesday in Santos, Brazil, where he played many of his best matches. Pele died December 29th at the age of 82 after a long battle with colon cancer. The football icon had friends all over the world, including South Africa, where Pele successfully lobbied for the country to host the 2010 FIFA World Cup. In this encore sunny side of sports presentation, Darren Taylor in Johannesburg tells us about two men who played against Pelé. Cruzou para trás, dominou, fez o passe do Pelé, furou, voltou, Pelé emendou lá dentro! Gol! Augusto Palacios says he fell in love with football and with Pelé when he watched him score a hat-trick against France in the 1958 World Cup semi-final. His eight-year-old eyes gazed at the TV screen in awe as the 17-year-old Brazilian tormented the French. Pelé's team would go on to beat Sweden in the final, with Palacios later finding a place in the midfield of Peru's national team. In 1973, I had the opportunity to play against him. And obvious, I meet him, obvious, in Argentina. In Buenos Aires, also I meet him in, when I was the team manager, Mafana Afana, in the World Cup in France, and also, also in Confederation. Palacios was 21 when he lined up for his Peruvian club, Sporting Cristal, against Pele's Brazilian side, Santos, in a Copa Libertadores fixture. The Copa Libertadores is South America's equivalent of the African Champions League. Palacios says he was surprised by Pele's relatively small stature. His height was 1.73, but the way he jumped over the ball, looking at the goal he scored in 1970 against Italy, the heading goal, it was unbelievable. The body aspect, the strong with the ball to protect the ball in the dribbling, unbelievable. And remember also... He laughs and says he couldn't touch Pele on the field and had to make do with handshakes and backslaps off the pitch. His background is, is unbelievable. He never lost this passion or humble aspect from where he came because he came from very, very poor family. He was a very, very poor person, you know, who was selling a newspaper and magazine and clean shoes in the street. Age of 13 years is when... According to the Peruvian, it says a lot about the kind of person Pele was that he chose to remain loyal to Santos rather than moving to a top European club. One can only imagine, says Palacios, what Pele could have achieved with Real Madrid, for example. Yet, says Palacios, Pele's name still became synonymous with the beautiful game, and he won every trophy he ever competed for. 
hay Copa Libertadores, tu Intercontinental Cup, Triple Cup, Top Goal Score, One Thousand, Two Thousand Goal, y Guamajiro. Acá en Copi Jimba, I can enjoy watching him. Another South African footballing personality who interacted with Pele is Kaiser Motohong, the founder of top club side Kaiser Chiefs. In 1968, Motong was playing as a 24-year-old striker for Atlanta Chiefs in the United States. Santos drove hard against the Chiefs to keep their lead. Paley, number 10, maintained his standing as the world's number one player. Grainy archive footage shows Pele bursting through the Chiefs' defense to smash the ball into the net past an onrushing goalkeeper. Motong says he remembers almost every second of the game. The occasion itself was unbelievable because uh, we knew that uh, we're not only playing against a team called Santos, we're playing against the greatest of all time. He says the tens of thousands of fans in the stadium had obviously come to see Pele, and Pele only, and that was just fine by him. They beat us 6 2. And he scored about three goals. I must say I was very happy because I also scored one goal in that game. As a football administrator, Motong met Pele on many occasions, especially during the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. He was an unbelievable character on and off the field. But off the field, was such a humble person. You would not believe that uh, he was a top athlete throughout the world and somebody who was seen as the best in the whole world. Motong says of all the famous political figures, musicians, authors and sports people he's met, Pele remains the only one he places on the same pedestal as Mandela. A global icon, but with the humanity and humility to make everyone around him feel significant. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. VOA Africa is your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment and music. Stay engaged with VOA Africa. We love to hear your voice. You can call us 24-7 on WhatsApp and leave a message. Leave comments, requests or greetings. We may play your message on VOA Africa. Dial the international code plus one. Then 202-258-3076. VOA Africa is always happy to hear your voice. The number again is the international code plus one. Then 202-258-3076. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. And you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. World Athletics President Sebastian Coe is backing Kenya's fight against doping in athletics. We know from sad experience and the work of our task force that has produced some of the changes that we wanted to see in Russia 
that the early years were about cover-up. They were about obfuscation and they were about avoiding the challenge. Uh, In Kenya, this is different. Uh, As was evidenced in the World Anti-Doping Agency report, those cover-ups were organized at state authority level. There is no suggestion that that is the case in Kenya. In fact, quite the reverse. The fact that all these agencies are in alignment and prepared to work alongside World Athletics and the Athletic Integrity Unit is a very, very important statement. The journey will be a long journey. We should not kid ourselves that this is going to be achieved overnight. World Athletics President Sebastian Coe speaking at a news conference in Nairobi where plans were outlined as to how to tackle the current crisis in athletics in Kenya following a string of doping violations among high-profile athletes. At that same news conference, Kenya's Minister for Youth Affairs, Sports and the Arts, Ababu Nawambwa, pledged that Kenya's anti-doping agency will carry out a multi-million dollar effort for more testing and more education programs. Government has already committed $5 million a year for the next five years. That is 25 million U.S. dollars. And that money will support that all-out war against doping. We want to do more education, more sensitization. We want to do more testing. So you're going to see a much broader testing led by our anti-doping agency of Kenya. And the CEO, Sarah Shibuse, is here, who is leading that effort. The Athletics Integrity Unit or AIU, has led an effort to combat doping in world athletics since its founding in 2017. The AIU says as of the end of November 2022, 55 Kenyan athletes were banned and eight provisionally suspended for doping violations. Hi, this is Rick Pantaleo. Join host Carol Castiel and me, when we talk with Mark Bryan of the Future Today Institute about the future trends in technology and its implications for business, society, and politics for 2023 and beyond. Be sure to listen to Press Conference USA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Thanks, Rick. I'm Sonny Young in Washington. And you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Samson O'Malley joins us once again with another extra spicy package of African sports news. Sporty Friday greetings, Samson. Sporty Friday greetings to you too, Sunny. We'll begin the wrap of Africa sports in Nigeria, where the commencement of the 2022-2023 Nigeria Premier League season is scheduled for Sunday the 8th of January. The Interim Management Committee of the Premier League has presented the sum of $425,000 to be shared among all the 20 clubs in the Nigerian Professional Football League. Benga Elekbalaye, the chairman of the Interim Management Committee of the Football League, said the 
funding serves as an aid to the clubs in their preparations for the new league campaign. Elek Belair said the days of owing referees indemnity forcing them to rely on the home teams to foot their bills are now over. Our referees will be paid as such when due so that no referee will claim that the league is owing them money. Uh, we don't want to owe any referee and we have already made arrangements not to owe any referee. And the fact you may like all referees, we have to get our money before the time of officiating. Staying with football news on the continent, Tottenham Academy coach Scott Chickelday has been hired to work with Orlando Pirates of South Africa attacking players. His recent work include individual training sessions with English Premier League side Aston Villa striker Oli Watkins, Liverpool's Javi Elliott and Chelsea attacker Javi Simmons. The striking coach said that his first day on the job had been an overwhelming one but he will soon be at work improving their fortunes in front of goal. And now to the Confederation of Africa Football Organized Africa Nations Championship. It's exactly a week before the 2023 edition taking place in Algeria begins and several teams are stepping up their preparations. Ghana's Black Galaxies will take on host of the Chan 2023 Algeria in a friendly encounter at the Nelson Mandela Stadium in Algiers on Saturday, January 7th. The Galaxies will then take on Mozambique three days later before their opening Group C game of the tournament against Madagascar on January 15, 2023. Captain of the Black Galaxies, Glatsin Awako, says they are ready to make Ghana proud at the championship. We, we've had a couple of games and uh, I think when you compare from Pram Pram to the two games we played in Egypt, I think the performance has been very good and everyone, each and everyone is coping, each and everyone is cooperating well and the technical team too are doing all they can to, to make sure that um, we get to the level that they, they, they want and the level that we can we can get ready to, for the tournament. So, so far, everything has been good. Another side going to the Chan tournament is Ugandan Cranes. The East Africans played out a 1-1 draw with Cameroon in their second international build-up game. Coach Milcho Serdajovic says his intention is to keep as many clean sheets as possible going into the tournament. We need to reduce the aspect of conceding and to try to have a culture of clean sheets. And this is exactly a formula that we want to use going into the competition in the Cranes will play one more build-up game on Sunday against Mali before they depart for Algeria for the African Nations Championship. The Chan Championship kicks off on the 13th of January 2023. Dear respected friends, sports greetings. This is Milutin Micho Sredovic, national coach of Uganda Cranes. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on the Voice of America. Two players of African descent were the subject of racial abuse in Italy this week, resulting in the closure of Lazio's Covernard Therese for one match after racist chants at the midweek game left Samuel Mtiti in tears. The Cameroonian-born Mtiti, who plays for France, left the pitch as he and Zambian Lee's teammate, Lamek Banda, suffered racist abuse from visiting Lazio fans on Wednesday. The Serie A disciplinary commission said on Thursday the chanting had been widespread. 
A group of 25 Kenyan coaches will finally get to complete their CAF B coaching badges after their course was disrupted when FIFA suspended Kenya from all football-related activities due to government interference. The group was the second cohort to participate in the first-ever CAF B coaching course in the country. Their class was disrupted after Football Kenya Federation was disbanded by former Sports Cabinet Secretary Amina Mohamed in November 2021. Some of the coaches like George Mendenio and Jacqueline Juma share their thoughts on the resumption of classes after four months. The one year was tough. I can say it was tough because some of us coaches, not only me and players, just depend on soccer. So when such things happen, when the country has been banned, or definitely, definitely, when football stops, also income stops. It was so difficult for us, the coaches, uh, given that you don't have anything to justify that you've been in class for four months. Uh, you have to like show the the diploma whenever you go somewhere. Uh, there are so much, uh, uh, there are so many opportunities out there. But whenever you say that you've done uh, B licenses and you don't have anything to show uh, to show that you you've done it, then actually it's, it becomes a, a little bit difficult. The Olympic gold medal won by swimmer John Harrison Bezeke, which was stolen in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, has been recovered to the relief of the family. Her grandson, Craig Murray, said the medal, which she received at the age of 16 after winning the 100 meters backstroke at the 1952 Helsinki Games in Finland, was returned to them by a garden service who found it while cutting grass nearby. Thanks, Samson. That's Samson Omale ending his spicy sports package with a nice Olympic lost and found story. Now let's go down under to Sydney, Australia, where Craig Gabriel joins us with some tennis news. The USA and Italy have taken two nil leads in the semi-finals of the United Cup. The USA is playing Poland while the Italians have Greece across the net. American world number three Jessica Pagula has played world number one Iga Sriontek five times before. Last year Sriontek won four times. The only time Pagula won was in Washington in July 2019. This time Pagula adjusted the stat and scored an impressive 6-2-6-2 victory and I asked her what made the difference. I played her today. The conditions are totally different than anywhere else I played her. Obviously, maybe I had a little bit of an advantage. They just flew in yesterday. But definitely the fastest conditions I played her in every other place I played her has been pretty slow. So um, I think that favored me a lot. And I was able to use that to my advantage and play a really super clean match. But I think I just was able to execute my game plan you know, probably better than I have previous times. The result left Schwantek pretty upset. She sat courtside with a towel over her head, and when she revealed her face, there were plenty of tears, and I asked her why she was crying. Because I just knew that I felt kind of helpless today, because physically and mentally I wasn't able to kind of show up even and problem solve. So it's always hard to lose, especially when you're kind of playing for the team and your country. So I was just sad, but, you know, it's not the first time I, I cried after a last match, so nothing special. Francis Tiafo beat Kasper Zuk 6-3-6-3, who substituted for Daniel Michalski. Tiafo said the change made no difference to him because he didn't know either player, so no big deal. During the afternoon, Sydney was hit with the most intense rain bomb. It was greater than monsoonal, and Tiafo said the sound he was hearing on the roof of this court was so incredibly loud he had not heard anything like it before. Hi, I'm Francis Tiafo. You're listening to Sunnyside of Sports. 
on Voice of America. And now to the semi-final tie between Italy and Greece. If the match between Rafa Nadal and Aussie Alex Dimino was the match of the men's matches at the United Cup, then the one between Maria Sakkari and Martina Trevisan took that honour for the women. There were so many turns and twists and you just didn't know what would happen next. After three and a quarter hours, Trevisan, who made the French Open semis last year, prevailed 6-3, 6-7, 7-5. It really was a nail-biter. And then Lorenzo Mussetti barely raised a sweat against Stefano Sakalaridis, winning in straight sets. In Adelaide, Novak Djokovic, Daniel Medvedev, Ons Jabeur and Sebastian Korda all had wins. And from those results, we have a semi-final between Djokovic, who beat Denis Shapovalov and Medvedev. An exciting news for the great Ash Barty, who retired after winning the Australian Open last year. She and husband Gary are expecting their first baby. Craig Gabriel, VOA Sports, Sydney. Thanks, Craig. And congratulations to Ash Barty and husband Gary. And that wraps up the January 6th edition of the show. I get it. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope everyone has a sporty good weekend. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports.